This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books. I thought I'd take some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones and with me as he is every week is Matthew Rushing. Matthew, how's it going? It's going really well, Chris. Uh, Been a good day. Uh, I've actually been able to uh, keep up with my running now that I've moved and I'm finally settled, and so I'm up to two miles again. So it's pretty exciting to to finally feel like I'm getting somewhere. Uh, I guess that you know when you're running, that's kind of a weird. You do phrase. want to get somewhere, feel like right? I'm getting somewhere. unless you're just yeah. running in place. <laughs> yeah, uh, luckily I, I run outside. I don't like running on a treadmill. It's not enjoyable to me. So. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been going great. Um, awesome. and, uh, it's nice to feel like I'm kind of getting back into shape. That's great. Yeah. I need to do that myself. Well, Matthew, you know, many listeners know that here on Literary Treks, we tend to source a lot of our news, if not most of our news from the wonderful website, the Trek Collective. And in this show, we decided instead of just sourcing our news from there, why don't we just bring the man behind it all here onto the show? So joining us today for the whole show is James Edward from the Trek Collective. Hey, James. Hi, guys. Great to have you here. Man, it, yeah, it's nice to be it, here. It's like having the man, the myth, and the legend. <laughs> so finally, he's here on Literary Treks. I, I, I feel better, Chris, having him here because, I, you know, literally we just steal his news. <laughs> and, and then we report it like we found it out. And right. we're like, no, no, we just, we just got this from the Trek Collective. So one, James, tell me how you get all of this news you know scooped all the time well you know it's it, I mean, first it's just quite a surreal experience to be talking with you guys now after hearing your side of the conversation so often it kind of <laughs> feels <laughs> odd to be part of it <laughs> but um well i just i search and follow things with this unnerving uh, obsession to <laughs> find every little update I can, basically. I mean, I've been doing it for some years now, so I just sort of I've built up a resource of places to look, which uh, mm-hmm. generally helps me find things when I, when I need to. Well, it's great because one thing I love about the Trek Collective and going there is the fact that you have stories that I don't see on all the other Star Trek news sites. Well, that was kind of exactly why I started it years ago. I mean, the, the first thing... Um, I was I was spending a lot of time sort of following uh, authors and publishers, trying to find out information about books. And um, IDW had just started its license uh, when I started, um, and I found the other 
Trek news sites then they didn't really pay much attention to books and comics and they are much better now actually they've, they've sort of really started to take on that people are interested in books and comics. Mm-hmm. but then I was sort of so constantly looking for news I thought well I might as well put it all in one place for everyone else to find so I did and therefore literary treks can exist right Matthew <laughs> exactly <laughs> well that we have some news you know That's I right. mean it, it's with without James uh, we just wouldn't have as much news I don't think no. and so it's 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 been a great resource for, for us what's been fun is I remember finding your site you know a few years ago you know I've, I've loved the Star Trek literary universe for a long time and so it was neat to kind of find that I I don't even remember how I did I I, I can't remember if it was from like seeing something on the Trek BBS boards and actually might have been um, Thrawn from the Trek BBS mm-hmm. boards and, and y'all's, you know, massive spreadsheet that you had put together. I think that actually is how I ended up finding your site because I saw his, you know, um, link to to you. And then I was like, there's a whole site for this. <laughs> this is awesome. So, uh, yeah, it's been it's been really fantastic to have as a resource. Well, I was really lucky that uh, Fron sort of let me host his original version of that, and then we developed it together a couple of times. I think we'll probably do another update soon. Um, since then, because uh, I mean that flowchart is—it helps. I mean, even I have to sort of look at it now and then to go, oh, how does that link to this and that and this and that? Even though I see it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did uh, you know? Just kind of having you on the show for the first time, and I'd love for the the listeners to to kind of know. How did you get into Star Trek originally? Um, you are a little bit younger than Chris and I. Mm-hmm. And so how, you know, in fact, it, I think you were born right around the same time that the next generation was yeah, starting. Yeah, I'm a few and months so... older than next generation. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that, that's, that's actually great. You know, I have some people come on the show who were born in when next generation was starting to end. Mm-hmm. Which makes me feel very old, because <laughs> I was finishing high school when Next Generation launched. So, well, it makes me feel quite old when we come up to things like the twenty fifth anniversary of Next Generation. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, right, okay. <laughs> I can't actually remember a time when I didn't like Star Trek. Uh, I sort of, I guess I must have watched uh, repeats the original series, sort of, in, in my very earliest years, and then. I have this, I, I can remember seeing Next Generation when it was on first time around, so I don't know when I started watching that, because obviously I was too young to see the first episode. Um, and then sort of, I guess I can definitely remember the start of um, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. There were sort of big events happening there, and I was really looking forward, um, I think mm-hmm. particularly to Voyager. It was sort of trailed a lot, and I was old enough then to recognize it was a completely new thing. <laughs> I sort of I can remember talking about that with my sort of friends at primary school, <laughs> um, and then I've just got into each successive series. I've always been a sort of very equal opportunities trekkie. I'm sort of pretty much into all of them. Like maybe a bit less original series. I guess maybe that's a a thing of growing up with all the 24th century ones and um, Enterprise Probably. as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I've always liked it, and then I guess at some point. I discovered books existed, and then for me, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Star Trek books, not books in general. I, there were, were these books? things, and there were pages. What are these and... paper things? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But uh, I guess once I started reading the uh, Deep Space Nine relaunch, that's what really hooked me. I mean, I'd read a few Star Trek books before them, but it was sort mm-hmm. of from Avatar onwards where I was really got into them. I think yeah. for me now, um, the Star Trek books are probably the more important part of the Star Trek reality than the television series or the films. I think I think Old they do statement. more interesting things. They develop the characters in more interesting ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they do have a lot more freedom to work with them. Well, yeah, I mean, especially now without having the 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 limitations of you know we saw the the numbered book series for like Voyager, Deep mm-hmm. Space Nine, and the Next Generation. There's not really a lot you can do with those characters. You kind of like take everything out of the box and play with the toys for a little while, and then you put them all back in very nightly and nicely and neatly because you can't do anything that's going to go against what they're going to do in the show. And therefore, too, you're very limited in, like, well, I just really can't do anything with these characters that's super interesting. Yeah, it must have been limiting for the, the writers. I, I think the intro, in the history of Star Trek uh, non-canon, as it were, I, I think one of the most interesting periods was uh, the comics set between uh, the... The original series films, the DC ones, mm-hmm. where they they did do quite bold and interesting things, but then managed to reset it back to where the story led off. Mm. So the film still made sense, but the comics fit in with them perfectly. Mm-hmm. But if you didn't know the comics existed, then it would just seem like those three films happened and there was nothing in between. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Exactly. Well, exciting one because we have you on the show tonight, and uh, we're going to be talking about the new Deep Space Nine novella. But before we do that, Chris, like we always do, we're going to get in some news, which is great because we get a lot of our news from James. <laughs> so he's actually going to help us do the news tonight. Exactly. And and speaking of comics, just a moment ago, it looks like our entire news lineup today is comics. So James, first one up here, IDW's Star Trek New Adventures is coming out. What can you tell us about that? It's, it's a new omnibus of the uh, the new Trek ongoing comic series. So it's the first 12 issues, which constitute six two-part stories. So mm-hmm. most of those early ones were the retellings of original series episodes. I think it's got the uh, the Tribble two-parter, which was a completely original one in there as well, I think. Which of those did you like best? Oh, but definitely the Tribble one, actually, because mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't really go for those retellings. It's, they were too similar, I think. Uh, yeah, especially I, so early I, on. I, I much thought, prefer yeah. the series once it started doing its own thing. Mm-hmm. Well, when this is kind of an interesting idea, they're, they've already got, you know, trade paperbacks of these comics mm. out there. But this is going to give you, you know, 12 issues and it is going to be volume one. And so they're, they're actually going to be a, apparently, I would think, doing another one of these it's 300 pages long. That's a really long comic book omnibus. Mm. That's that's a good size right there. So, you know, for anybody who doesn't have these, it, it's it's a great deal. I mean, you're getting 12 comic books. Uh, this will run you, uh, the trade uh, paperback prices is $29.99. Um, but I'm sure, you know, when when it comes to, like, picking it up, you, you could probably find it on Amazon, uh, and it'll be cheaper in the end. Mm-hmm. So this actually isn't a bad deal for all those people who, you know, may want to get into this, haven't really been collecting them, need all those back issues. What a great way to get, you know, 12 back issues. Now, it's probably, what, three, four years ago now, the start of the series? It's, yes. it's been a while. I mean, Not long has the... it, but I guess three three years ago, they were getting ready 
to launch it probably yeah because we were talking mm. about it on the ready room before it launched even so because uh, i mean the, yeah, the, about three the years. new trek yeah. comic in this batch of news is the 40th issue of that series i mean that series has been mm-hmm. going some time now it's one it's i think it's the fifth or sixth longest running star trek comic series now mm-hmm. you know i think besides people picking these up who don't have them yet matthew i, I feel like the strategy here is probably heading into the holiday season if you have a friend who's really into Star Trek and you're thinking about what kind of gift are you going to pick up for them, these kinds of books are a great thing that you know you see on the shelf in the store. Pick that up, give it to them as a gift, and it has so much content in it. Yeah, and and what's really nice about this too, I, I, I really like the, the cover art to it. I think it's really well done. Um, I actually was thinking, you know, this is this is something that the way they've done this would be a great poster, actually, on the wall. It, it's it's really nice, uh, yeah. especially with the crew from, you know, the, the 2009 Into Darkness. It really does look well. Uh, like, yeah. they, they put a lot of time into this. This is not this just particular, your Well, it's the cover. Photoshop. I guess it's a collage, right? It's not the exact cover, but it's based on the, the very early. Yep. I think it's the issue one cover, isn't it? It looks like the issue one cover, but I'm thinking if we put them side by side, it may not be the exact issue one cover. Okay. Yeah, so it'd be repositioned some of the characters. Maybe. I'd have to pull out the... Uh, I'm, I'm just... I'm picturing it in my head, so I don't know 100%. Yeah, me too. <laughs> for, me, for me, this particular cover, though, has been... I like some of the ones they've done later on. This one feels kind of dark for me. Uh it's yeah i wonder i wonder if chris that uh the the printing of it would look a little bit uh less dark you know it, it wouldn't be yeah probably. uh you know my my guess is is that the picture we've got here from um star trek.com is probably yeah, a condensed version the, of a really large you know file and it sure it sure doesn't come but i'm thinking back to the the copy i have on my ipad you know the hd mm-hmm. yep. copy of the comic. Yeah. it just feels a little bit dark for me the but. thing it reminded me of is that back then those early issues they all had that consistent cover motif which we've lost right. lately and i i yeah, kind yeah. of forgotten that had happened <laughs> yeah yeah they had that well, speaking, so this is coming out uh, in time for the holidays, like we said, 300 pages, twenty nine ninety nine as a trade paperback. And the next thing we have to talk about here is, James, I really want to get your take on this because I've <laughs> shared my thoughts on it on this show. I've shared my thoughts on it on Hyper Channel and the Ready Room. Trek meets Planet of the Apes, this IDW comic crossover that's going on. The Primate Directive. <laughs> the pri- yeah. See, I love the title. And as I've said before, I think the genesis of this project is someone realizing that the Primate Directive is a really cool title. So why don't we make a comic book out of it? What do you think about this project? I'm I, I'm actually really looking forward to it. Uh, <laughs> I just recently watched the original uh, first three prim- um, Planet of the Apes films, and I thought they were great. And... I think the, the the way they approach things, I mean, obviously it's the same era of the original series. I think there's a, a good potential for meshing there. How they make the two realities come together might be a bit blurry, but um, I think it's going to be fun and interesting. So I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, it's kind of in the vein of the original series episodes where they find a sort of weird alternate planet Earth right. anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It does make sense in that case, I think. Matthew, I can't remember now. What what was your take on Planet of the Apes? I know you were a little bit more keen on it than I was. I think. Well, I I like you know Planet of the Apes is is a movie. 
I, I think it's a it's an interesting series. I haven't seen all the the old ones. I've seen the original with Charlton Heston. I've seen the Tim Burton remake with Mark Wahlberg, Chris, and and you know that was pretty horrendous. <laughs> and then I I saw the um, James Franco version uh, with the prequel. Uh, I haven't seen the newest one in, in that series yet, but I really liked that. I, you know, I went into it with such low expectations, and then end up really enjoying it. And I've heard the the new one is is very good as well. Phenomenal. I yeah. <laughs> so uh, I mean, I've heard everybody's just had great things to say about it, but I don't really love crossovers. You know, I I have I have a. I have a desire to read the Doctor Who crossover they did with Star Trek. I, I think that one makes mm-hmm. sense. And I mean, yeah. you know, when you can travel time and space and different universes as the Doctor, it, you know, crossing over with Star Trek, I get that. But running into the planet of the apes, I don't know. Um, I've even seen people on message boards talking about when is it going to cross over with Alien? And I'm like, oh, please, please, let's yeah. not do that. Already, There's no limit that. to what yeah. you can cross over um, with. <laughs> so I, I just, uh, I, you know, it's it's not, uh, it is not my thing to, to see done. But on the other side, uh, you know, I will give it a shot just like I give everything a shot here. And I'm hoping it's good. As uh, James pointed out to me today, this is actually going to have four different covers they're gonna have three variant covers to it so uh we've got a lot uh, of covers for collectors here and uh as we were talking about right in time for christmas because this is going to be coming out in december you know one of the first of all when we talk about this before we talk about it when it comes out i'm going to go watch all the planet of the apes films so that i am familiar with that leading in because i haven't seen any of them in a very long time, and I'm not really that familiar with them to start with. Speaking of covers, though, tell me what you guys think. This alternate cover that we have here, it's the R.I. cover. The muscles, we've got, we've, we've got the ape there in the captain's chair with the muscles. Is this how Captain Kirk thinks all the women on the ship see him, muscular <laughs> like this, sitting in the chair? With a great big baton. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um... <laughs> I, I, I think it might be. Uh, at least that, that's how he wishes everybody saw him. Uh, that's for sure. Um. <laughs> I think that the uh, the different covers here actually tell a little bit of a story. Because you see there's, uh, there's the one where they're all battling uh, the apes and Kirk. And then there's the one with the ape holding up the Kirk uniform. And then we end up with this one of the eight wearing Kirk's uniform on the bridge of the Enterprise. I think, there we go, that's the story of the first issue. <laughs> How he gets the uniform shirt and he's got Kirk's on and that's why it's just so tight, you know, he's even bulging out of it, so. <laughs> oh, all right. So we'll, we'll just have to wait till this comes out. There are going to be five parts. So the first part will be coming out in December and we'll go from there. I don't know, Matthew, are we going to review these as they come out or are we going to wait and do them all at the same time? I don't know, Chris. That's a great question. I, I'm just not sure if I'm going to be able to wait. We're going to have to probably dive in right away. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So we have one more story here. James, I'm also very interested to hear your take on these. Mm-hmm. The John Byrne New Visions photo comics are going to be giving us another issue. And this one has me intrigued, especially looking at the cover. This one is called Made Out of Mud. And it looks like it's going to be the return of Harry Mud. 
James, how do you feel about these photo comics? I I think they've been hit and miss. <laughs> um, but I, I like the idea and sort of seeing it from the creative point of view, I, I can see how it'd be really interesting and fun for him to make them. Um, that has mostly translated really well, but then there's been the odd bits where it's gone wrong. I think the the second issue with that story was a bit too familiar, but I think right. overall that his the, the strength of uh, his storytelling is really good, mm-hmm. and you know he knows his original series back to front. So I, I I'm sort of quite I'm quite enjoying them. I think you know it it makes me wonder. This one not only has Harry Mud in it, but it's also going to have a a second separate story like the last one that we reviewed did chris with tribbles and so i i do kind of enjoy that he is you know he's giving you a main story and then he's seems to be giving you a shorter story and and for us the last one that we reviewed chris uh, times echo we actually really enjoyed that that uh short story a lot more than we did the the longer story in the comic so i i'm i'm excited because uh, you know on a whole, I'm I'm ready to to continue to give him the benefit of the doubt, um, and uh, my only worry is if you just kind of try and bring back the greatest hits all the time. So we're gonna bring back Harry mm-hmm. Mud because he's pretty popular with people. We're gonna bring back Tribbles because they're pretty popular. And there's also a Pike issue coming up. Yeah, so that might be you know an interesting thing to see, but I just don't want it this to kind of turn into in any way. Um, some of the ways that we we had a problem with the JJ comics that they've been doing and where they were just redoing episodes or we didn't feel like they were being original enough. You know, the whole point I think here is to really give us original series stories that we haven't seen, you know, and that first issue really did. Part of the problem there is he's constrained by the source material he has to use. That I mean, is true. Yeah, <laughs> he needs to do sequels in, to some extent to use the visual resources he has from the series. But I think um, what he's the the sort the first issue of New Visions was the sequel to Mirror Mirror, and I thought that was absolutely fantastic issue, a mm-hmm. really strong yeah, story. Yeah, that's what made us feel what what you said, James, which I agree with, is that his storytelling is very strong. The question isn't so much whether the storytelling is strong, it's just, is the story original or not? And I think the mirror one was, and then I think Time's Echo wasn't. Mm. Yeah. 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 So, so we'll uh, see what he this does one, with though, this one. I mean, it looks like it, it could be really fun. So I'm excited that it's going to be coming out soon. Uh, we have uh, uh, another issue coming out next month called Cry Vengeance. And so... No, and no then, Matthew, it's called Cry Vengeance! Cry Vengeance! <laughs> I I just want to say uh, cry havoc and, and let's slip, slip the dogs, dogs off. Off. you know uh, because good god I love that movie uh, man so yeah Chris this is going to be coming out soon we should probably get to that audible uh, spot yeah. where we talk about how great our sponsor is that's right yeah Matthew before we talk about the feature today which I'm really excited about because I was actually laughing out loud my way through this book Lust Latinum Lost and Found that we're about to talk about. Before we do that we would like to just tell everyone about our sponsor audible.com. They are a great source for audiobooks, really the best source for audiobooks. I've been a customer for 14 years and 
As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook for yourself just by going to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and signing up. And if you decide not to stick with the trial, you'll get to keep that book. So there's nothing to lose, but they have so many great books. And they have lots of great Star Trek books as well. You know, some of my favorites, which Matthew, I've told you we need to cover here on the show, like Federation, which I'm really looking forward to reading again to see if I still love it as much as I did when I read it in hardcover as I was sitting in orchestra rehearsals because... I play bass trombone, and so in a lot of pieces, we just kind of sit for like 30 minutes without actually playing. So I was actually reading Federation in hardcover (laughs) during rehearsal. Thankfully, the conductor's attention was on the strings. (laughs) So I had to find out if I still love it as much. But Federation is one of the books that you can get on Audible. So go check it out. Audibletrial.com slash Trekafilm is the URL. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. So, Matthew, now that everyone knows how great Audible is, let's go ahead and talk about Quark's little romp to Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. Chris, this was uh, something I think that we've been looking forward to for quite a while. Uh, One, we were going to get a new Deep Space Nine book. We have not had that Deep Space Nine logo cover on a book since 2009. So it was very, very fun to be getting that back. And honestly, you know, Quark is is one of those characters that I really came to love throughout the series. You know, I, I think uh, when Deep Space Nine started, you, you didn't immediately think, oh, I'm going to love Quark. Like, he's going to be my favorite character. But the, the, the way that they handled the Ferengi, I think, in the series really did a, a good job of rehabilitating them for all of us who had seen them originally with The Next Generation. Uh, but at the same time, really growing them and changing them in, in the same way that they, they continue to do with, say, the Klingons, the Cardassians, or the Bajorans, or any of these other uh, races that we saw in Deep Space Nine. So just kind of overall thoughts for you guys uh, getting into Lust's Latinum Lost and Found. What were your first impressions reading through this new novella? Well, um, I, I enjoyed the, the comedy of it. I think uh, I, that was what I was hoping for. That um, you, know, you sort of talk about them developing the Ferengi, and the Ferengi episodes I really remember are the funny ones, like uh, the Magnificent Ferengi. You know? And so I was, I was kind of hoping for something in that vein, and we got that kind of farcical thing. It wasn't actually quite as funny as I thought it might be. It sort of I was expecting a, I guess, more of a constant barrage of farcicalness, whereas in some ways it felt like a little adventure. I've, I've written down here. Right? Indiana Jones of erotica. That's <laughs> <laughs> I think he came out to. Uh, well, that's yeah. interesting that you you picked up on Indiana Jones because I wrote down that it feels like it's some sort of erotic milliways because especially the beginning of this book feels like Douglas Adams. You know, Douglas Adams didn't write Star Trek. He did write a Doctor Who book, but he didn't write Star Trek. And I picture that if Douglas Adams had written Star Trek, it would start out just like <laughs> this book does. That's really funny. <laughs> Both of you. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, you know, I the kind of reading through the book, I, I too, I, I thought it was, uh, it was really funny. I, I, and honestly, I was kind of struck by just how sexy the book is. I mean, it, yeah. it is, it is, uh, it, it definitely pushes, I think, the the Star Trek boundaries in, in some ways when it comes to that. I, I wasn't quite 
ready to get into Quark's, you know, latinum <laughs> fantasies. But uh, I, I clearly did uh, after uh, this book. I, I feel firm in my belief of, that I know exactly what uh, Quark wants uh, in so, all areas of his life when it comes to latinum. Will you be taking a ticket to get into the hollow deck as well, then? Oh, I don't. I I, I don't know uh, if I if I want to do that at this point. <laughs> so Matthew, were, were were you made a little uncomfortable with lines like, "And then he was off his feet, pulled upward by the tightened chains and the number of helpful hands that cupped his buttocks to hoist him over the edge." Yeah, it was it was just a little bit much for me in some areas, but on a whole, I I mean, this is. Gosh, I, I just enjoyed being back on Deep Space Nine. I think more than anything. Uh, so, Chris, what were your your thoughts on the, on the book? Well, I was I was laughing out loud a lot of the time when I was reading it, and I I mentioned Douglas Adams already. I love Douglas Adams. I love that type of writing and that type of humor. It's a very it's a simple style of writing, which is what we get in this book as well. But it also pulls you along. Like, what's going to happen next? Where are they going to go next? And and it's very humorous. And I think that they did a really nice job in here of poking fun at Star Trek at the same time. And there are moments in here like a pack lid coming up to the bar. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Which was hilarious. <laughs> that, this, that there's this pack lid there. And, and he says, I really need to go. And I knew where they were going with it. You know, I mean, it's kind of easy to see where they're going with that. And finally quarks realizes like oh you need to go to the bathroom there's one out there and he gives him directions like you're in a store you know and they're like yep. well you know go past the ladies section and go past the shoes and then turn left and you'll see it right over there i thought that was pretty funny but i guess the other thing i felt about the book is what you pointed out matthew which is that while i really enjoyed it i can see a lot of star trek fans getting uncomfortable reading this book. And I think there are some people out there who will possibly actually be offended by the amount of sexuality and kind of graphic description that's in this book. I, yeah, I, I think that they definitely push the boundaries. Um, uh, and I think that that's definitely something that happens in the book. Um, it, it does remind me that uh you know star trek has a um uh, a lot of openness when it comes to, to sexuality it doesn't really get explored a ton in in any of the series until we really kind of get to i think enterprise where they really are trying to push those boundaries of of you know sexuality and sexiness and and you know put people in more risque positions on on purpose you know this really does kind of feel like it is connected to that world that we saw in Enterprise in, in a lot of those ways. So, you, you know, just on this topic of things that might make people uncomfortable, Matthew, though, I asked you on the other side of the book if we could name this episode Mona Loves Its Backdoor Code, <laughs> which is a, an isolinear chip that they bring back from this convention, this expo that they go to, which we'll talk about. It just little things like that it was what I felt was such an irreverent, fun and irreverent take on Star Trek that they've put into this book. Yeah, what you're saying about the sexuality in Star Trek, I found, I mean, I wasn't really bothered about the depictions of it, but I found it interesting from sort of trying to think within the Star Trek world where sexuality and 
sexual politics are that this book does a lot about uh it has a lot of empowered women but mm -hmm. it's also about a vulcan love slave and yeah that's what in, it comes in some to... of the ways they talk about it you think uh -huh. this is still quite a sexist society that, that we're examining right but but it was nice that uh, at the end, spoiler alert, if no one's read it, it's a very short e-novella, so please read it before uh, you listen on to the show. The fact that it does come at the end to female empowerment, right? That in, mm. And that females should have equal opportunity with men and reminded me of how when it comes to you know, sexual topics within our own society or products or anything that's produced, that there has been the sort of realization that you're missing part of the market if you're only targeting men, which mm -hmm. is exactly what Pell, the Ferengi, comes to at the end here, that she's behind all this because she realizes as a Ferengi female that there is a bigger market than what all the Ferengi male entrepreneurs or businessmen target normally. So so it actually, even though it is about a love slave, and, and as you're reading it, you're kind of maybe feeling like this is sort of a sexist thing, it actually does come to that at the end, that it is about equal opportunity. Well, actually, I think on the whole, it, the, it was very, it, it portrayed women very strongly, like um, Talana, mm -hmm. though she I means she's effectively a porn star. But she's mm -hmm. also the writer and programmer of this program. Mm -hmm. And that is her focus. And she, mm -hmm. you know, there's no sort of slut shaming or anything like that. That is her job. And she has mm -hmm. no problem with that. And the people around her don't. I think it's really sort of she's empowered in a sexual job. And there's no shame for her. I think the problem was right towards the end, there were um, the people queuing up to go in. And a bit where I felt a bit sort of I don't know, awkward was the idea that they'd be talking and sharing so openly their sexual fantasies and telling her to go and get her and leave some for me. And that was a bit much. <laughs> that was a bit much, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that like a lot of of, of Star Trek, it, it does a great job of kind of leaving you with a lot of different ideas to think about. And I think that's mm. one of them, you know, that that kind of whole culture. I mean, it was interesting because, you know, they do go to this... Um, this the, the pleasure planet Wrigley's uh you know pleasure planet and they go to this basically this huge con for all the hollow providers and and all the games programs and, and games you know right. publishers uh, just are there everything that you you would want basically in in the entertainment industry um that it's you're like trying a gaming to provide. expert yeah gaming experts yeah it's like everything a gaming expo has, but for basically. holograms because they have yep. the one where dixon hill is running and he's being chased and then Bullets are flying, but you can observe that. I love the image of that. That's that put a really nice image in my head, imagining this place, uh -huh. all these holograms mm -hmm. popping up around you. Yeah, and but it also, I mean, with with who's kind of walking around it, it, it kind of gave me this this feel of like being in Vegas when they have mm, the convention yeah. for the adult industry as well. So it was like a mixture between you know a sci-fi convention and, and an adult industry convention well, and putting that all together was a really interesting and what it reminded me of was actually neither of those well it reminded me of those but what it also reminded me of is part of my work over the years is i do marketing for technology companies and i used to be the marketing director for a technology company and part of my job was going to conferences 
to meet with the media and talk and all, but we also had a booth there on the expo floor. And another part of my job was developing the little premiums, the trinkets that you give away at the tables. Mm -hmm. And I loved and was just laughing out loud here at Schminge on the floor of this expo. Because one thing you know, like if you're an actual vendor at these events, one thing that you know is that there are always these people who come to these conferences and expos who they go for the swag. And you can hear them like at night at the at the bars or just being out after the conference is closed for the night. They will be going around to their friends talking about how much swag they got today. And you really will see people checking out of the hotel or going to the airport, just like he is in this story with this bulging backpack full of like every trinket that he could possibly get there. And this I thought was very, very authentic in the story. And as someone who's experienced that, it really, it made me laugh and it really connected with me. And I could really, I could feel like I was actually there at this event. Yeah. And it, 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 what it was doing for me was really connecting with the, the kind of existence that a lot of fans have, you know, the, the con life and, and just loving being at a, at a convention and meeting people. I mean, we even get um, the, the, the fact that, uh, you know, quirk will end up meeting his fantasy in the same way that so many of us as star trek fans you know we go to a convention and we get to meet um our heroes or our fantasy person in real life you know it it's oh look it's 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 captain kirk right there on stage you know or i'm Mm -hmm. taking my picture with him it's so exciting um and i just thought it was really funny the way they were kind of working all these things in there kind of poking fun at the way that we love the Star Trek universe, not just so much the Star Trek universe itself. I thought that was really fun. I think uh, it's the, again, it's Talana that this story, I mean, this is a Quark story, but she was the focus of a lot of it, where his fantasy about her or her celebrity status at this convention where she'd been signing autographs or the fact that she is something other than either of those personas. And you sort of, I guess, going back to your point, Matt, you wonder from the actor's point of view at these conventions what they're thinking if they're like Talana and have all these <laughs> completely different viewpoints on the people they're meeting. Yeah, it makes it is coming to me one of that too. You know, what did what does a you know a, a person that is famous kind of think about when people come up there and just kind of fawning all over them. It was mm. interesting that today I was listening to, it was the very last official podcast for how I met your mother. And it obviously has been quite a while since the show ended, which I haven't seen. We're only like halfway through the oh, series crap. in Japan. So, uh, well, I won't talk <laughs> about the end, Chris, but, um, they got a chance to sit down with Josh Radner and he was just talking about, you know, when people meet him on the street and, you know, it, it, that if you want to, to really get his attention, it, you don't talk to him as, as if he's Ted, you know, you, you, you talk to him that he's a real person that has a real life, you know, and it goes way beyond anything that he did on screen. And right. I think, um, you know, that, that was just kind of that interesting because we have that here in the story of, of of Quirk not being able to divorce the fact that she's not really Talana, you know? I mean, that's a character in a story that she's created. It may be based off her form on the outside, but that ne- isn't necessarily her, you know? She's put all her 
her study into it, you know, uh, of of the you know, the sexual practices of 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 other cultures, but it it doesn't have anything to do necessarily with her. And so I I think that 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 is sometimes where we as fans, and I'm sure when we come across somebody at a con. It, we blur that line so much that we forget that they're real people. I suppose what's a bit awkward with Talana is that by name, at least, she is Talana. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But actually, she's not because she says, you can call me that if you like. She never uh, actually reveals what her real name is. But I mean, yeah. she's com- the complete opposite to a slave, isn't she? Because she's, she's completely in charge of a situation whenever she's around. She's- oh, she's completely in charge. And in fact... Voice-wise, I thought Paula and Terry had the Vulcan voice mm. down perfectly because even before they revealed who the character was, I'm like, this is a Vulcan, absolutely, mm. everything about it. And she reminded me of very much a businesswoman like the Vulcan, uh, whose name is slipping my mind at the moment, but the Vulcan who tries to buy the arms for the Maquis in the Maquis episodes on DS9 in season two, that Vulcan woman she sounds very much like that it's very very straightforward this is a business thing for me this is a publishing venture for me in this case yeah Yeah, definitely her whole approach to the industry but her position in it it's sort of it's incredibly coldly vulcan which is an Mm -hmm. odd contrast to the content she's producing (laughs) (laughs) right yeah i think that is is uh one of the things that again it's it does that great deal, uh, the great thing that Star Trek does, which is is it, it it moves us to trying to think about different areas without saying, hey, this is how you should think about it. It it, it gives it, it helps you make up your own mind, and I think that that is really interesting. You know, uh, we were talking about uh, just the idea of empowering women, you know, the whole point that Pell brings up at the end of the book that, you know, uh, you are missing an entire market here if you're not involving women. And it just reminded me of the rise of the fangirl in in the geek culture and how important Mm -hmm. that's become Mm -hmm. and that they for so long had kind of been pushed to the side, you know, and, and that only boys like this stuff. But obviously that's not true. And uh, I, I really caught that uh, that wave in this book that they were really kind of going towards that the idea of girls really enjoy geek things. And if people who make Star Trek or, or any of the other things like Doctor Who or anything like that, if you're not paying attention to your female fans, then you are doing a disservice to, uh, you know, everything you're doing. And I just really, I really responded. I thought that was great. You know, this this whole book, it's completely silly with the fact that it actually had some some really, um, I think, interesting things to say about the the culture that we're a part of here of, of Star Trek and, and kind of mm-hmm. geek dumb. I thought that was great. Agree completely, definitely. I think uh, aside from that, one of the, the the most fun bits of the book was the general sense of adventure. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, it that you're sort of drawn through it, being what's going to happen next, mm-hmm. and these different things keep turning up, and so you know, from chapter to chapter, you never quite know where it's going to go. And <laughs> the fact that it becomes completely circular was irrelevant because you have this grand adventure with things popping up, which are uh, the Orions coming in, which are completely sort of 
underplayed almost for the Orions. They're not a major part, but they're right. this annoying distraction for Quark. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering when that big ship decloaks who exactly it is mm. at first. But but yeah, the adventure it was it was fun, and and I, I love that Quark has a sidekick with him oh, along yeah. the way, and the sidekick is great comic relief as well. There's I keep coming back to the swag <laughs> thing because I think it's it's just really funny that th- there's the scene where Quark's looking for Schmang, and then he says Quark's jaw dropped. The figure waddling toward him was Schmang, but a profoundly changed <laughs> Schmang. His bloated body. No, it was his bloated clothing, bulging from items of every shape imaginable that were stuffed into every pocket, every pouch, every loose fold in the fabric. But Quark's making fun of his apprentice. I also love that they call him an entrepreneur. He says something like, I'll take it out of your paycheck. And he says something like, you don't give me a paycheck. I'm an entrepreneur. I don't get a paycheck. And I thought, yes, that's exactly true. Like you run your own business. You don't get a paycheck yeah. <laughs> yourself a lot of the time. But Quark is, is seeing him as sort of being in the way most of the time. Yet at the end of the story, you find out that actually this guy's smarter than he thinks. You know, he mm. works his own angle at the end with all the swag that he's picking up, which Quark had told him is completely useless. But he he gets his own. He has all these hollow programs that won't be released for a few months. And and even the callback of a secret code that unlocks a backdoor on Bashir's old spy program, elevating it to a whole new level of play. And they install those in Holodeck or Hollow Suite Seven. I don't know what that new level of play is though, in Bashir's program there. Yeah, with the spy program, I was wondering that too. What it was that that kind of they had to, to decided to to do to that program to to upgrade it and give you something else to do. So uh, who knows with with that? That would have been really fun. Um, well, there is know, that reference to that secret code, and Bashir's assistant Mona loves it. That is true. That is very <laughs> true. It made me wonder as well. Um, because we spent all this time with this hollow technology and these hollow characters that, uh, and all these different programs that are out there, I, I really wanted to know what had happened to Vic. You know, we kind of mm. got left hanging there with the light fantastic and, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't know still like there's, there's no, there's no news on, on what's happened to him and if he's up and running again or, or anything like that. So that's something that I'm really interested to find out is, is what has happened uh, to Vic and, and if they've been able to fix um, the, the hollow matrix to be able to get him uh, plugged back into to Deep Space Nine or not. Well, it, sure, it certainly seems like it in this story that the hollow matrix itself is okay. I, I think maybe the story set a little bit earlier than the light fantastic. It feels like it's very close after the uh, opening of Deep Space Nine. You think where Quark's position is? Although he and he and Roe were kind of on the on the outs at this point, it wasn't clear to me if that was sort of a pre relationship, and now they're not together, or if this is where he's still trying to pick her up. Well, yeah, I was wondering about that because I mean, you think their relationship started way back in the sort of first wave deep space nine mm-hmm. you want. when she's so still just security we've had a jump of several years that this this not relationship has been going on for quite a while <laughs> yeah yeah so she's captain here actually so it's post yeah yeah they have definitely been uh doing something for, for <laughs> quite a while 
unfortunately, I was just looking in the book. There is no um, star date in it, so it, it doesn't say when it does come in. And so, right, except uh, I was that hoping she, it would tell us. Except that she's captain here, so it is post all that because she was security at yeah. the time that that relationship so it, was going on. So it's definitely, you know, sometime with the, the new Deep Space Nine opening after the assassination and everything. Um, and so there is a lot going on there. We're just not quite sure how mm-hmm. far or maybe, maybe this takes place sometime in that whole fall mess that happened and, and all of that. So I think the way to figure it out is to follow the Packlid trail. When we find out when the Packlids started coming by the station, then we'll be able to put this on the timeline. Do you think this is the first part in the uh, Packlid Takeover trilogy story? Yeah. <laughs> With the Packlid Empire? <laughs> well, uh, it, this kind of left me with with one last question, and, and that was, you know, Deep Space Nine, this is the first time we've had the, the, the logo on a book for quite a while. We're going to get another one, The Missing, with Una McCormick here in December. What are some of the things you guys uh, think might happen in the future with with Deep Space Nine and that series? Well, I, I, I it's always hard to guess where it's going to go exactly, but I kind of hope that it includes more things in this format. I like the the shorter format of the novella that lets you tell these little adventures for a few characters like Quark, where you can explore what they're doing within the wider events of DS9. And I think that works particularly well for DS9 because there's such a large cast of characters that you can focus on something and have this little story. So I kind of hope that more of the novellas are Deep Space Nine focused while their grand adventures are going on with the sort of the main crew and the Robinson off on adventures as well. Chris, what about you? Yeah, I'm probably with James on that too because I think that with the way the the overall events of the universe are mixed together, those work better under titles that are Star Trek book mm-hmm. series, you know, like The Fall, something like that, as opposed to being dedicated to a specific series, just because if you have a really intense, deep storyline, complex storyline that's just under the Star Trek Deep Space Nine title, well, how does that play into everything else that's going on in the other books? So, so I kind of like these self-contained stories, too. What I do miss, though, is, you know, back in those early Deep Space Nine relaunch days, where each book took us through a very short span of time in universe. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. we had the story unfolding quite gradually, and it didn't have to be a big, grand universe-changing event. It was just Mm -hmm. about the character development slowly over this period. I'd love to see more of that sort of slowly unfolding story of Deep Space Nine return. I wonder if they can get back to that, though, because those all predated the entire universe becoming mm. more complex in the literature. So so now they have a lot more going on, because at that time it was sort of unique just to have yeah. DS9 was doing that itself. I, I feel there's a change of direction in the books now. I mean, we, we sort of know there's a exploration focus, and I think there's a slowing down of time as well because we're racing ahead so much mm-hmm. in the last few years that everyone's just getting old for starters. <laughs> so I think they there are ways that in the way they're changing the story that could accommodate longer stories you know, over slower periods of time. You know, I this is really hard for me. Um, <laughs> it, 
Deep Space Nine in in the relaunch set forth what I th- I think of as is Star Trek books, and it, it really I think created uh, the the rich universe that we had seen in Deep Space Nine, and brought that into the literary universe, and and honestly everything else that's been so good has kind of followed that. You know, it, it's it's stayed interconnected. It's it's um it's become one big saga where deep space nine fits in that i don't know right now because it's been so pushed to the side uh you know with different characters have been used like esri's been used or you know dr bashir has been used or you know those kind of things or or even cisco has been used been put on the robinson you know all of that all of that has happened um but it hasn't had anything necessarily to do so much with the station you know i mean even though with the station blowing up or anything it's it's like that hasn't been a focus in it there's been to me i think a loss of an identity for deep space nine as a series in the sure. books and i think um one of the things that that's done that is that so many of the characters have kind of gone their own way and and been put into different things and if you look at the other series though with the enterprise picard is still there crusher's still there Worf's there geordie's there so a lot of the main characters are still on there and every time you get back to being on the enterprise e you feel close to being at home you know uh voyager all the same characters are there they're all in different places you know we've got admiral janeway captain chakotay you know first officer tom paris all those kind of things but all of those characters that made up the series are are there i I think that's what's missing on deep space nine is too many of the characters are just kind of in other places and Mm -hmm. to me if you want to bring that series back you you need to find a way to to i think bring cisco back to the station somehow you you need to find a way to to make some of those kind of things happen so it feels more like the series again yeah. now i understand it you you kind of get into that whole small universe bit you know and it and it feels silly but it's star trek and, well, and you know i think that's the thing is that we follow our crew you know yeah. and and i that's what i would like to see for deep space nine now i'm I trust the writers and where they're going, so I'm really excited to see where uh, where it ends up. But that's just my personal feelings uh, on where I kind of hope and wish for, you know, where Deep Space Nine goes. Well, I agree with you on all that. What do you think about the idea of going back, like they do all the five-year mission novels for TOS, and writing novels that once again take place during the series run that fill in gaps there? It would be it would be tricky to fit them in, but at the same time, because of the story and the material of DS9 and the fact that it was long running and it was serialized, you could possibly add to it that way. But then again, I don't know because I I know that did not work well for Battlestar Galactica trying to do novels. Yeah, that's tough. Um, there's places in Deep Space Nine lore, especially with the books that are missing, like the Ascendant story that was never really finished. There's a lot of gaps there so there's some places that you can fill things in filling in storyline for the show is is a lot harder on beat space nine because it feels more complete than the five-year mission which is that anthology feel you know deep space nine doesn't really have that so i think you kind of nailed it there chris it is a lot more difficult so i don't know i i I think deep space nine 
book series right now, there, there's a lot up in the air too. I mean, you know, with what's going to happen with Bashir in the, in the disavowed book and the other Section 31 book, we know is going to come out. You know, you have Esri on the Aventine, how they're going to do that. And then you have Cisco on the Robinson, and, and he's supposed to be going to the Gamma Quadrant. And so how all that plays together, I'm, I'm not really sure, but we'll see. And, you know, I, I, I love and trust the writers that we have right now. So, you know, me talking like this doesn't mean I, I don't trust them. It's just my own, the own personal ramblings of, of, a, of a, you know, Star Trek book fan. And uh, that's definitely <laughs> what this show is all about. So, guys, final thoughts for Lust, Latinum, Lost, and Found? Well, I I enjoy the, the format uh, of the novella so much. I don't think you can... I mean, I don't think there's been a bad one since they restarted ebook line. They've all been really fun little stories which add to the overall universe in a nice way that isn't maybe as deep as the novels and i like that format a lot uh i liked the adventure of this one and i like the comedy so i'd be i mean um they're doing a another quark story uh paula block and terry erdman that's coming sometime probably next year so i'm i'm glad to sort of see this almost as a little series of quark adventures i think that's going to be really fun What's your rating for the book? Four Vulcan love slaves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really enjoyed this book a lot. Like I said, I was laughing out loud a lot of the time when I was reading it. And it pulled me right through and never got bored with it. And it reminds me, as I've said during the show, of the style of Douglas Adams, kind of the humor. Mm. And you can tell that Paula and Terry really, really know Star Trek and really, really know DS9 and had a riot putting this together. And there's so many, so many funny jokes in it, uh, funny names for things. And I, it's a book that, especially because it's short, I'll go back through and, and read it through again, just because it's a fun little romp. So, and uh, I agree with what they have at the opening of the book, where they say that they dedicate the book to Iris Stephen Bear. They say he once told them that he suspected his tombstone would read, he did good things for the Ferengi. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a story that I think you could only tell with Ferengi and make it work. Otherwise, it would just be too ridiculous. So I'm going to give this book those sweet Vulcan lips as succulent as tube grub larvae curving upward into a tantalizing smile. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. I don't even know what to do with that, Chris. Um, <laughs> I got to say, that this book is a lot of fun. Um, I think it's a good quirk story. I think there's a lot of interesting things going on. Uh, and I really appreciated that uh, Terry Erdman and, and uh, Paula Block really put some great commentary in, in such a tiny little novella. I mean, it's like 77 pages on my iPad. Who knows what that actually means in real life since it's an ebook? I don't know. It's 122 um, for me with my larger type. So. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, it's not very long, but they really do. They they crammed in some great messages in here. I, I think it, it was fantastic in that way. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And it, that speaks to the heart of, of Star Trek itself. It's great to have Deep Space Nine back. I just want to be clear. Um, I was so excited that, just to, to be on the station. Um, you know, because... The other thing about this is, is we've spent very little time on this brand new station that is the pinnacle of Starfleet engineering right now. 
Um, and I am just so excited to get to know more about it. You know, it, I, I want diagrams uh, uh, like every great Star Trek fan does. You know, I, I want um, great books set here because it, it's a station that I just want to explore mm. uh, like I want to explore the Enterprise. Um, and so, and, and two, you know, this new Deep Space Nine is a, is a character I just don't know yet. Um, in the same way when you get, you know, uh, the Enterprise E and, and the first contact, it's a whole new character you just don't know yet. And you're, you're just really excited to get to know. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also interested to see all the, the characters on there uh, as well and what's going on. I mean, there's plenty of things going on. Kira, what's going on there with her? I mean, uh, with Ro and Quark, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see where their relationship plays out. And everybody else, Nog and Chief O'Brien and everything that's going on in the station. So it is fantastic to be back here on the brand new Deep Space Nine. And I got to say, I would rate this. Um, oh, goodness. Wow, Chris, I, I just I don't I, your rating. It's left me speechless. I don't <laughs> even know what to rate this book. You're so, still thinking about Talana's lips, aren't you? Yeah, um, I'm just going to say um, I'm going to give this book. Six pointed ears. All right. Go. Yeah, I think a- apart from the setting, what was also refreshing to have back was a lighter Star Trek. It was really nice to have something that's fun and funny. And, you know, that, that's something that reoccurs through this series. It's kind of overlooked, but Star Trek can be quite a comedy series occasionally. And I think it's nice to have that in the prose again. Most definitely. Well, light Star Trek isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week. We've been talking about lighthearted topics and very serious ones as well. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. They, they look at the original series episodes and they see thematically what it is that works and they pick that in order to explore like a different side of it. Earl Grey. No, do you guys seriously no. not know why they have red and green lights? No. Not all of us have read Ships of the Line. Okay, no, 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 no. Wait, is this a Ships of the Line? Of... I'm only on like chapter no, one. No, no. I'm talking about like real ships today. <laughs> have you been on a ship, Darren? The Orb. Them being adversarial, I, I don't think necessarily was the only way they could have gone. Um, it makes for a great story, but it just made me wonder, just in a possible universe, what would have happened? I think it's important, though, that she, as the religious leader, is not sold on the idea that this outsider is their emissary. To the journey! Endgame cannot make my list. <laughs> I, uh, I don't have as much hatred for Endgame as you or apparently everybody else does. Oh, I've, not that I'm bitter or anything, no. Warp 5. So I would argue in the case of what? Paxton is doing here in firing a weapon at San Francisco, which luckily missed and went into the bay. And I don't know if, I guess George and Gracie aren't there, right, in the 22nd century, so they're okay, but... The ready room. They could have really diverged with what we knew of Will and made Thomas's own unique character. I mean, he is, but, like, if we can get multiple burial episodes why, you know why can't thomas Riker have more than one episode mission log a ronberry star trek podcast and he happens to figure it all out yeah, uh, that, that's enough to drive an audience we know we need to get will wheaton on the show because i will defend wesley in this episode against the guy who played Wesley. <laughs> okay commentary trek stars
there was an interview I think with with JJ where they were talking to him and he was saying that you know oh my my dad was friends with Nicholas Meyer back in the day I remember going to Meyer's house when I was a kid and he saw he had a whole bunch of really cool things in his house and I thought I would like to break some of these literary treks but I do like I want to see Spock with a perm oh gosh well, I think I've got a Photoshop yeah. project in my future with this cover right here. Melodic treks. It's like, oh, this wow. happened. Oh, oh, this is so good. <laughs> it was. No it was just that amazing. Is how she, uh, reacts. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us everywhere that you get your podcasts. We're all over the place. If you're an iTunes user, please head over and hit that subscribe button. That's one way that you can help us out. iTunes is my favorite place to get podcasts, and statistics show that that's the case for, I think it's about 85% of everyone. So head on over there and hit that subscribe button for us. That helps us out a lot. And while you're there, be sure to leave a review for Literary Treks and all the other shows that you listen to here on the network. That also helps us rise up in the rankings and helps other fans find Literary Treks as they're searching the iTunes store. While we're talking about ways that you can help us out, another thing that you can do is to become a patron of the network. If you love Literary Treks and our other shows and you want to support what we're doing here on Trek FM, we would love for you to go to patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. And check out our goals and our perks. You can contribute any amount you like. We have different milestones listed and the perks you get in exchange for those, everything from things like digital wallpaper up to being an associate producer and even sitting in on your favorite shows during recording. Lots of great things for you over there. So go check that out, patreon.com slash trekfm. All right. If you would like to leave feedback on the show and everything we talked about today, there are many ways that you can do that. You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Just choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks, and that'll come to Matthew and me by email. You can also find us in social media. Our username is trekfm on Twitter. Facebook.com slash trekfm is our main page. We also have a new home on Facebook. This is a closed discussion group called the Babel Conference, and it's actually a replacement for the forums that we used to have on our website. So head over to Facebook and just type the Babel Conference into the search bar or go to our website and click Discussion on the top menu bar. That'll take you right over there. Just click Join. I'll approve you to let you come in. It's a group for our listeners. And the purpose of it is to foster meaningful and respectful discussion about Star Trek. So we would love for you to join us over there. So, James, we're really glad that you were with us today. I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts on the comics during news and, of course, talking about the book here. Uh, We talked a lot about the Trek Collective up front, but go ahead and tell everybody where they can find the Trek Collective again and other things that you're doing and find you. Okay. Well, I mean, it was great to be here as well and be part of the conversation rather than just listening to it. And, um, of course, you can find me on thetrekcollective.com where I try and uh, keep up to date with all the latest books and comics and any other Star Trek stuff I can find. Um, and you'll also find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr if you look for eight of five altogether. The number eight and the number five, right? Yeah, that's right. So eight number, O, F, five number. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Excellent. And are you around in, in social media as well? Uh, I, I have... A few other blogs as well. I mean, I've got a, a Lego blog which I'm trying to post about uh, called uh, the Brickverse, 
Um, okay. And I'm also, uh, I've got a project on Lego ideas to try and get a King Kong Lego set made if you're interested in oh, King cool. Kong or okay. Lego. <laughs> All right. Oh, and of course, while we're talking about plugging things on social media, there's the uh, USS Titan petition. So if anyone's oh, yeah. not signed that, we need to try and get that model made. We need 5,000 people. Definitely. We're going to get that made. I'm sure 5,000 people are going to sign up. We're crawling there, but we're going to get that, I'm sure. (laughs) So, Matthew, now we know, you know, when we start our brick cast about Legos, we know where we're going to get all of our news for that one. We know where we're going to get our news, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me feel so much better. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, well, thanks. Great to have you here today, James. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) So, Matthew, when you're not, you know sitting down and uh, let's put it this way when we can actually drag you out of Vulcan Love Slave 4 and get you out here in the real world at least for a little while where can people find you well uh, Chris well. <laughs> you can find me here uh, on Twitter at MattRushing02 of course uh, talking about all sorts of different things so you can give me an at reply let me know you're following me we'll have a great conversation there I'm sure we also do the orb together where we talk about all things Deep Space Nine so if you do enjoy our Deep Space Nine talk here um, you and you just can't get enough or and Chris you know my mission is to make everybody love Deep Space Nine as much as we do that's what I've well heard, that's really yeah. our goal <laughs> Uh, and uh, to help you love Deep Space Nine more. So find us out over there at the Orb. And then, of course, my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Now, Chris, when you're not high-fiving your buddies and back-slapping them after you come out of uh, Vulcan Love Slave, <laughs> where can we find you? That is kind of like what that scene was like, right? That, that James was saying might have been a little bit too much. Yep, it's exactly what it was. <laughs> It was a little bit, but hey, you know, it's, it's quarks. So you get a lot of different people passing through there. So I guess that's what really it probably do. actually would be like in real life, whether you agree with it or not. So um, I won't actually be doing that, Matthew. I might be down there at the bar though, you know, talking to Morn, maybe hanging out with some pack lids so I can feel like I'm actually smart for once. Oh, okay. And yeah, that's when a good I'm not, idea. You know, part doing of the conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> but when when I'm not doing that, you can find me with you, of course, as you mentioned, doing the orb. And then elsewhere on the network, I do a whole lot of different shows. There's Warp Five, Continuing Mission, Matter Stream, The Ready Room, Hyper Channel. There's uh, some other stuff that I can't remember, I think. And there's also the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar, which I co-host with Alec Peters. And then in social media, I'm on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. Same thing on Facebook, facebook.com slash C Brian Jones. And then I have my website at cbrianjones.com. So check out all those places if you want to find out what else I'm talking about. Before we let you go, one more thing we'd like to remind you about is our sponsor for today's show, audible.com. We talked about them a bit in news today. You can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up. For the trial, if you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose. You'll get to keep that audiobook, but you can pick up whatever you like, a Star Trek book or something else. Wonderful service. I absolutely love Audible, and I know you will too. If you love podcasts, Audible is the place for you. Again, audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And we really thank you for supporting Audible, and we thank Audible for supporting the network. So one more time, James, before we sign off here with our usual sign-off, I know Matthew and I just want to say once again, thank you for taking time. It's in the middle of the night for you over there in the UK, so we're really glad that you set aside some time for us. It's just coming out to 4.30 a.m. Look at that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us, and until next time, live long 
and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one. Facebook.com slash Trekafilm is our main page. We also have a new home on Facebook. This is a closed discussion. It sounds like I say clothes. It's not clothes. It's not clothes. Pinterest. Clothes. Move. Right. This is, is a clothed one. 